Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Having so much fun doing some clapper vision, a little bit of teaching, talking about food. Damn right. That's right, Kobe. My guest at 815 is going to teach us a little bit about bending in life. Made me think all week. Bending. Yep, you want to bend and not break. All right, you know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery. Where do you see bending? Enhancing life in these different worlds. Well, in art, I thought about this guy. Nobody plays the guitar like this guy. And even on this song, there's two lead guitar players, Dwayne Allman and Eric Clapton. Dwayne Allman... He's got a glass tube around his finger, and he's sliding up and down the strings. But Eric Clapton is bending the strings. That's what he wants to do. And he, it's because he realizes that you can enhance the note by bending the string, making it vibrate, kind of like a vocal cord. As that air comes out of my lungs... It's vibrating and bending the strings of my voice box, my vocal cord, to make different sounds. Well, Eric Clapton is doing that with his guitar. Listen to him talk about bending the strings versus sliding. We had both developed an early love for blues. And the interesting thing was that he was coming from a a slightly different direction. He had developed a very unique bottleneck slide style while I was bending strings. So we were coming from the same place, but traveling on different paths and, w- and could meet, and yet sound completely different to one another, e- even though we had the same principles going on in our heads. Early in his career, he was interviewed. He didn't use the word bending, he called it vibrato, but you can hear the strings bending when he answers this reporter. The kind of blues I play, is uh, I started playing was was one of accompaniment, you know, of, of lead accompaniment. So that is quite difficult, you know. There there are thing basic things that you'd have to learn about that style itself, which is uh, the finger vibrato that you have to use, which is like that, you know, which is very important. Here the reporter goes, I can't believe what I just heard. How you bent those strings and made it vibrate. The vibrato he's talking about. Can you do it again? Could you just do that again? Yeah. You see, that, that itself is, is, is um, very difficult. can take you a long, long time to play and get that perfected. Where did this idea come from of bending the string, trying to mimic the voice, the, the vocal cord, making the guitar be like a person? Here later, Eric Clapton is asked in his career, 
What exactly goes through your mind before you start a concert? And this is where he reveals to you, he tries to make the guitar sing as a person. So what goes through your mind when you're about to start a solo? Um, I go through all kinds of, I mean, and you've got a, a brief span of like 10 seconds before, you know, you stop singing and you think, right, I've got to play something now. And, and you go through a hundred different changes in your head about what approach you're going to take. And usually, by the time you've gone through those changes, it's time, you see? And it's, it's just like someone shoved you through a door and you've suddenly got to do an act. And, and you just start singing. For me, I just start singing, but I do it with the guitar. If that's the groove, and it will be... It's just me singing, really. it sing he becomes like a person he doesn't just call it his guitar anymore he gives it a name like it's a person one good one guitar is named brownie which he wrote layla on then later there's another guitar that he loves he calls it blackie fender tried to make reproductions of these classic guitars that he used but listen to him talk about brownie and Blackie. I think Brownie was the, the, the sort of prototype for Blackie, you know, in, in terms of where I, what I was looking for in the ideal working guitar. Um, and it was really that that was the, the criteria, you know, could this do, could I go on the road hard with this guitar, um, you know, every, every night of the week playing flat out, you know, and, and uh, doing little bits of repair on it as I was going, you know, and refining it. It's the neck of the guitar where he bends those strings. Who knew that the neck of the guitar could be made of different kinds of wood? Rosewood, applewood, maplewood. Listen to Eric Clapton talk about why he prefers the maplewood, because the rosewood is too stiff. It doesn't allow him to bend the strings that he needs to do to make his guitar sound like a voice. I think I'd played a, a rosewood on, on a Jaguar or a Jazzmaster in the Arbors, and I didn't like the feel of it. It felt resistant to bending. It, it felt like the grain was quite prominent on a rose. You know, the, um, there was a definite feel to it that where you felt like you were going across the grain if you tried to bend the strings. And I never got that. This was, it was just like almost marble or something. It was so smooth. Where in the world of sports is the sport enhanced? Just like Eric Clapton enhanced the world of music and the guitar by bending the strings, where do you see the same example of bending enhancing the world of sports? Hockey players use a stick, and at the end of the stick is the blade. The blade is what actually touches the puck. For power and for accuracy, it was the hockey player Stan Makita in the 50s who by accident discovers 
that if you bend the blade of the stick, you get power and accuracy. Here's the great Sarah Spain from ESPN sitting down with Stan Mikita and asking him, how did this happen that you discovered the power of bending the hockey stick? My uh, invention started, like all great inventions do, by accident. It happened that uh, my stick got caught in the doorway of where the players come in and out of the, of the bench, and somebody pushed me forward even more, and the stick cracked. It did not break, but it cracked. So uh, as I pulled it out and I saw the L shape in the, in the stick, uh, I got a little upset because now I had to go all the way downstairs to get another stick, and I didn't really want to do that. Ah, but listen to how he makes his discovery that when you hit the puck with a bent stick, it feels and sounds differently. So uh, I, did, I saw a puck land there and I slammed it against the boards in anger and there was a different sound that I heard, yeah. the, the rebound coming off the, off the boards. I, hit a, I shot a couple more with a wrist shot and that, that turned out to be the same, the same thing, that uh, it was different. And uh, then finally the stick cracked, so I kept it in the back of my head and uh, I think uh, it was that day or the next day after the shower, you know, you, you're waiting around to see what guys are going to do. And I, I said, let me see if I can bend one of those sticks into that yeah. particular uh, area. Before there was fiberglass to make a sailboat, you had to use wood. Columbus discovers America, even though Native Americans were already here. Don't get me started. But those boats from the 1600s and the 1500s and the 1300s were wood. How do you bend wood? You steam it. You heat it. Stan Mikita knew that. So now he gets himself a blowtorch and starts heating up the hockey stick so he could bend it. And uh, it took a while to, to get it through my head that I, I you know, you have to kind of make the, the wood warmer or... or uh, uh, make it like a spaghetti, so it, yeah. <laughs> it was almost cooking hockey sticks, but, it, but not quite. And it, the way it came out is, is what I was looking for. Now, it took a lot of practice to uh, finally get the guts to use it in the game. And I think about a month later is what, what I, uh, when I finally started to use it. And, of course, Bobby looked at it. He said, make me one of those in the left, which I did, made it in the, in the left-hand shot. And I guess the rest is history. The rest is history because one of the hardest hitters of a hockey puck one of my favorites, Bobby Hull, I literally watched him hit a puck, slap shot, went over the goalie and hit the glass board and shattered the glass. This is unshatterable glass. Not when you have a curved hockey stick. And Bobby Hull, God bless him, when asked, where'd you get that shot, Bobby Hull? How'd you do it? How could you hit the puck so hard? It was that bent stick. Did you invent the bent stick? And Bobby Hull says no. It was my teammate, Stan Mikita. Listen to Bobby Hull tell the story. Now, who's the first guy? You say you had the... I'm not guilty. Now, who was the first guy? It was Mikita. Stan had uh, a terrible habit. If he didn't like a stick, he'd just lean on it and break it. And I said, Stan, and I don't know how many times, I said, there are 400 little guys out there that would just love to have one of your sticks. I said, don't break it. Hang it on my rack, and I'll see that someone gets it. Exactly. So we're practicing one day, didn't like his stick, tried to lean on, he didn't have enough weight, it was late in the season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he went over to the door, at our, our bench door, and he rammed it in the door between the hinges. Yeah. And he reared on it and reared on it, and finally it split, 
Just a little, eh? It split in the blade, and the top part flew out, and the bottom stayed in. And he kept rearing on. So it came out, and the stick looked like this. He's showing you the curve. So while he was going downstairs, you know, in Chicago, we had yeah. to go downstairs to the dressing room. He grabbed a puck out in front of the net, and he fired it in. And I'm watching him. In the net he goes, fishes it out, come back. he came back again, fired it in. He did this six times. So I said to the guys in the bench, some of the guys were practicing down at the other end, I said, look at Makita, he's really kookaloo now. <laughs> I said, look at what he's doing. So he came up and I said, Stan, what were you doing? Firing the puck in the net, fishing it out, firing it. And he said, Bobby, he said, when I tried to break my stick, he said, I put a hook in the blade, and he said, can you ever fire it? Can you ever fire it? That's the aha moment. That's like Wilbur and Orville Wright Brothers selling an inner tube to a bicycle. They owned a bicycle repair shop. And they were playing around with trying to make an airplane wing. Could it fly? Friday, last customer at the bicycle shop, Orville, sells the inner tube, and he's got that rectangular box, like what aluminum foil comes in, that rectangular box. But they were stumped. They couldn't figure out how to turn the wings and have it come back to shape and then turn it in the other direction. And there's Orville holding that rectangular box that the inner tube came in. And he notices when he twists it and lets go, it returns to its shape. He twists it the other way and it returns to its shape. That was the, that was the aha moment. Can you ever fire it? Those are the key moments to be observant in life of when a bend actually enhances the life. So after practice, I said, I'm going to call Northland. We use Northland yeah. Pro. This is a CCM. Yeah. Uh, we, I use Northland Pro most of my uh, career, except when I did some advertising for CCM. <laughs> and, like us all. Dave, Dave knows about that, too. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to call Northland and get uh, half a dozen made up with a little hook in the blade. And I said, well, order me a half a dozen, too. And from then on, it just went from Ooh. a little bit to... Uh, where, where's the cameras? Right over which, there? Which one? Look at that. That's, that that murderous was, or and what? That, and at times, it was even worse than that. His, his slap shot was so hard that other play, the defensemen, the goalies, would run out of the way. You didn't want to have to stop that puck. It was literally like getting shot with a rubber bullet. This is a cute story. Listen to Bobby Hull tell it about the defenseman fleeing, the goalie fleeing the net. Where did you develop that slap shot, though? I mean, that was murder. First of all, let me tell you a story about Cheevers. Jerry Cheevers told me this story, and it's a true story. It was a power play, and the puck would, correct me if I'm wrong, the power play, you had a guy just sifting the puck over nice to you, nice feathering, and you'd hammer it, and he'd be ducking, hoping you'd score. Finally, you put it over five times, and the only way it stopped is you hit the crossbar, and went in the crowd, he says, I never prayed so hard in my life. Cheevers was the goalie for the Boston Bruins, had to deal with Bobby Hull. Listen to Bobby Hull say, there was one day where Cheevers ran away from the front of the net. He was so afraid of my bent stick and the velocity that puck could generate. But there was another time, even funnier than that, Don. I got it out the point, and uh, the, one of the uh, defenders came out to check me, and I reared back, and I faked it. And I went around him, and he slid past me, and I went in another, oh, 10 or 15 feet, and I wound up again, and one of the defensemen, thought that he'd take a chance at it, and he slid out, and I managed to get around him. Now I'm about from here, uh, maybe over to, to Jimmy there, out in front of the net. 
Now I look up, <laughs> I, I start to wind up, and I look up, and the net is vacant. <laughs> and I, I start to laugh, and Cheevers had gone over, and the defenseman gave me a wide berth, and he gave me about three quarters of the net. Cheevers was over hiding behind his defenseman. <laughs> and I fired it in the open side. <laughs> it's a metaphor. He may have bent the stick, Stan Mikita, but he also bent his life. He was a bitter man. He was adopted, grew up in Canada, and took out his aggression, his bitterness for having to leave his family in Czechoslovakia as an eight-year-old. And so he got into fights. He was the most penalized hockey player. But then he got married and had a child, and he one day decided to bring his five-year-old daughter, Meg, to watch him play hockey. But he got into so many fights, he was sitting in the penalty box, not skating. And his five-year-old daughter said to him, well, you listen to, listen to the story of Stan Mikita bending his life, not just his hockey stick. For years early in his career, he was one of the nastiest players in the NHL. A miserable son of a gun on the ice is how one former coach described him. And then, just like that, he was one of the most gentlemanly players in the game. As transformations go, it was unmatched and remarkable. His daughter Meg was uh, five years old and he just led the league in penalties the year before and she went to her first or second or third game and uh, after the game she said daddy how come you always get to sit by yourself <laughs> he's in the penalty box he said that changed him and uh, you know the very next year he won the lady bing trophy bending in life in sports in art in surgery and in your own life men make plans and god laughs you better learn how to bend Coming up next, we're going to talk to an expert, an expert in how to bend in life, the great Dr. Michael Collins. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. The secret sauce. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I will jump through the radio to come into your house and help you right now. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Sugar man. Won't you hurry, cause I'm tired of these scenes For a blue coin, won't you bring back All those colors to my dreams Silver magic ships you carry Jumpers, Coke, Sweet Mary Jane Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Bending in life. Nobody bent better than Sixto Rodriguez, who's singing that song. 
I'm so excited. I'm joined right now by the great Dr. Michael Collins. Michael, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Oh, it's not so early in Chicago, but thanks. Thanks for having me on the best radio show in Los Angeles. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. I thought about what I was going to talk to you all week, and I spoke to your son, and I said, is your dad a big sports fan? He's a big sport, a big Chicago sports fan. I said, all right, who's his favorite athlete? Figuring you were going to say Michael Jordan. But your son, Matt, says Stan Makita. I'm going, why would this guy pick Stan Makita, who I had heard of, but of all people, it would be Bobby Hull, maybe. No, Stan Makita. So I looked into Stan Makita and learned what a beautiful story about Stan Makita. Why was Stan Makita such an important part of your life? Well, as a child, I admired him as a hockey player. Uh, and as my life went on, I eventually wound up seeing him as a patient a time or two, playing golf with him a few times. He was one of the nicest uh, gentlemen that I've ever met in any walk of life. Mm. And I loved earlier in the show, you talked about how he was a terror on the ice. He got mm -hmm. more penalties than anybody and just overnight turned it around and became one of the most uh, kindest and gentlemanly players in hockey. So he, there's a lot to admire about him. You know, I love the aha moment, and I love that Canadian accent. Yeah, let's listen, and I want to hear your reaction to Bobby Hull hearing Stan Mikitas tell him how you can feel the difference in that shot. So while he was going downstairs, you know, in Chicago we had yeah. to go downstairs to the dressing room, he grabbed a puck out in front of the net, and he fired it in, and I'm watching him. In the net he goes, fishes it out, come back. he came back again, fired it in. He did this six times. So I said to the guys in the bench, some of the guys were practicing down at the other end, I said, look at Makita, he's really kookaloo now. <laughs> I said, look at what he's doing. So he came up and I said, Stan, what were you doing? Firing the puck in the net, fishing it out, firing it in. He said, Bobby, he said, when I tried to break my stick, he said, I put a hook in the blade, and he said, can you ever fire it? Can you ever fire it? That aha moment. Tell me, Dr. Collins, tell me about what it's like to have an aha moment in your life. Well, I guess for me, the aha moment was uh, I graduated from college uh, and was a typical immature boy. didn't know what I wanted to do, and I kind of drifted into construction work for a couple of years. And I was at work one day when one of the guys said to me, uh, we'd had a particularly hard day. Uh, we were all sweating and dying of heat and thirst. And he said, what are you doing here? Um, you know, this is a poor guy who had no education and he knew I was a college kid and had a lot of doors open to me that weren't open to him. And he just said, you're pissing your life away. Uh, and it, it, that was the aha moment for me. I had really never thought about what I wanted to be when I grew up because I don't know, maybe I didn't want to grow up. But mm -hmm. from that moment on, I started to think, you know, I need to do more than drink beer and play hockey all the night. Mm -hmm. So I uh, thought about med school. I did not major in pre-med, so I had to go back and take two years of pre-med. And then, you know, fortunately, was lucky enough to get into med school and become an orthopedic surgeon like you. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Here's another, I mean, I can't talk to Michelangelo. He's dead for 500 years, but I can talk to you. And I want to pick your brain. Dr. Ranawat, who was my teacher at special surgery, taught me, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. But on the radio, the ears don't hear what the mind doesn't know. Listen to Eric Clapton describing 
why he rejected Rosewood, which I don't even know what he's talking about, as the next shape for his Fender Stratocaster and prefers the Maplewood because he can bend the strings, which is really what he's after. I think I'd played a, a Rosewood on on a Jaguar or a Jazzmaster in the Arbors, and I didn't like the feel of it. It felt resistant to bending. It, it felt like the grain was quite prominent on a rose. You know, the, um, there was a definite feel to it that where you felt like you were going across the grain if you tried to bend the strings. And I never got that. This was, it was just like almost marble or something. It was so smooth. Tell us about feel. As a surgeon, you've using your fingers, but the metaphor of feeling, that you feel it's right, not to become a psychiatrist, a pediatrician, the feel is what we do as orthopedic surgeons. When did you have that moment when you said, yep, this is what I want to do with my hands? Well, I think I've always been a, a physical person or a guy who worked with his hands, and orthopedics is the most physical of all the specialties. The other thing that especially appealed to me about orthopedics is that many or most of the problems that come to us, we can fix. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if the leg is broken, we can fix it. If the hip's worn out, we can replace it. If the rotator cuff is torn, we can fix it. And you know yourself, there's a wonderful feeling of accomplishment um, and gratitude when patients come to you to, to thank you for what you've done. Uh, there's nothing like it in the world. Isn't it beautiful? This is kind of like John Lennon reeling one day that the word please has two meanings. You can either please someone by satisfying them or you can please use the word please to ask for permission. And that's where the song Please Please Me came from. But listening to you right now, you use the word feel because feel is an emotional feeling, but it's also a tactile your fingers can actually touch and feel. It's the same word, but it actually has two different meanings. And that is just awesome. Being a Renaissance man is really the highlight of one's life. For me, it's sculpting and surfing and being on the radio and being a surgeon and an inventor and an author, all the things that I love to do. But you too are a Renaissance man. So teach us a little bit about writing books and where this whole idea came to you about putting down on paper what your life has been like? Well, as I mentioned, I was somewhat immature and late to uh, mature in life, um, but I wanted to be a writer before I wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. And so when I was working construction for those years, I kept a journal about all the things that I did. And when I went to med school and when I did my residency, I kept a journal, uh, intending to write about it someday. And realizing, as you remember back from when we did our residencies, you're so sleep deprived that if mm -hmm. I didn't write it down, I had no chance of ever remembering anything. <laughs> so, I don't know, five or ten years after my residency, I wrote my first book, Hot Lights, Cold Steel, about being a resident at the Mayo Clinic and all the moonlighting that I did in order to support my family. Mm -hmm. uh, a few years later, I wrote Blue Collar, Blue Scrubs, which was a uh, recollection of my days as a construction worker trying to get into med school. And then finally, the most, most recent book that was just published uh, last month, All Bleeding Stops, was a bit of a switch for me because this one is fiction, but it was about a topic that was close to me and that I wanted to raise awareness of among not just the general population, but even among doctors. And I know you've seen this yourself, that 
the people who are called to medicine generally are the compassionate and the caring. And sometimes that care is more than they can handle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've seen it in your practices. I have in mine. Uh, sometimes doctors simply care too much. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why doctors have a higher suicide rate. And sometimes they just can't deal with the terrible things that we see in medicine. Mm-hmm. So what is the significance of the title, All Bleeding Stops? Um, you know this uh, the significance, but your readers might not. All Bleeding Stops is a, a darkly humorous sort of uh, aphorism that's used in surgery um, where the surgeon's in the middle of surgery and he's trying to stop bleeding, and some wise guy will remark, All Bleeding Stops, meaning either the surgeon's going to fix the bleeding and stop it or the patient's going to expire and will stop bleeding. Uh, in that sense. And when I wrote the book, I thought it was a good metaphor. The title was a good metaphor for the main character, Matthew Barrett, who in a very real sense was bleeding throughout the whole source, the whole course of the book. Hmm. Wow. So when you look at writing a book, what's your process? I assume there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. Do you always know how it's going to end when you begin a book, or do you kind of just let it happen and flow? Probably more of the latter. Um, I, at, when I first started to write this book, I had an idea what I wanted to say, which is I wanted to tell the story of a young, idealistic, overly sensitive young man who was drafted and sent to Vietnam as a combat surgeon and was prepared for the mental aspects of his work and the physical aspects of his work, but not the emotional aspects. Mm. And they eventually destroyed him. So as I wrote the, as I began the book, I had a rough idea that that's the story I wanted to tell, but it did evolve throughout the course of the book. Certain things would change. Certain things I didn't imagine at the beginning eventually came through at the end. When I sculpt in marble, which is my hobby, big block of stone and I just three-dimensionally just look at it, and I just enjoy the. my favorite part is the beginning where I just look at this solid block, a cube, and everybody would look at it and go, how do you see what's in there? Well, all of a sudden, a light goes off in my head, and I can see the twisted figure or face rotated in the rock. And I swear, I have gone for hours was feverishly chipping away at it and then you stop because you just don't see it anymore and you have to take a coffee break and hopefully you'll come back and be able to see what you saw tell us what it's like to sit at the typewriter i assume it's a computer now and start banging away at the keys where this story just comes flowing out of you and do you just stay there for hours until you know it's going to dry up and then take a break and come back? And tell us what the process is like of writing a book like All Bleeding Stops. Well, it's funny that you mentioned uh, sculpting because I cannot and have never attempted to sculpt. And it would be, I think, way beyond my abilities. But much of what you described is similar to what happens with writing. Uh, sometimes you see what's going to happen and you can feel it and it flows and it feels so good, and you can't wait to get the next word down. Uh, other times, I'm just lost. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I, this isn't working, and what I want to say I'm not saying, and the things that I've said so far are not what I meant to say, and I try and figure out what to do. And in my case, uh, I find that one of the things that helps me a lot is to step away for a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of 
inspiration going for walks or going for runs. Uh, occasionally at night, I'll be falling off to sleep awake in the middle of the night, and I keep a little pen and piece of paper near the bed so I can jot things down, and, and I find that helps a lot. Hmm. Here's a question that I like to ask people that I've never met before to just get an idea of who they are. So if I met you at a party first time, this is what I would ask you. Michael Collins, tell me your top five movies. I don't, favorite movies too hard, but what are your top five movies of all time? Well, uh, I have a big family, so I, most of the movies that I see or have seen over the last 30 years have been with kids. So I would say uh, The Princess Bride, I loved that movie and the kids all loved it. Uh, the Quiet Man, an old John Wayne movie uh, where he goes back to Ireland, that that was a favorite. Um, in more recent times, Gladiator, uh, the Russell Crowe movie. Um, those are the only three that come to mind right now. Uh, That's good. Since- that tells me a little bit about who you are. Your Irish heritage. What does that mean to you? And traveling each year back to Ireland... What does that mean to you? Um, I don't mean to suggest that being Irish is any better than being Lithuanian or a Samoan Islander, uh, but it just happens to be what I am. And I revered my father and mother and my grandparents, so I'm proud and happy to be uh, what I am. And part of that is being Irish. Um, there aren't many people who, you know, my, it was my great-great-grandfather who came over from Ireland. Now I have other uh, ancestors that were closer than that, but the one named Collins came over in the potato famine in 1847 and has, we all lived in the same part of the city. I live close to the same part of the city where my great, great grandfather lived and his son and his son and my father. And so all those family connections are important to me. And, and so my ethnicity is as well. And as I said, I don't certainly don't think Irish people are any better than anyone else, but it is what I am. And so I like to explore it and I encourage my kids um, and I've taken them to Ireland and shown them where we're from and the, you know, the poverty that, that my great, great grandfather escaped from and how lucky we are to live where we are and have what we have. I personally have been to Ireland twice in my life for two weddings to two very important people in my life. They come from a part of Ireland called Kilkenny. Uh, they're in a town called Molinavat, which if you blink, you go right through the town. They're dairy farmers. And uh, some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life are the Malone family uh, from Molinavat, Ireland. There's something beautiful about an Irish person, their sense of humor, the way they look at things. It's like going to Europe and realizing the Italians are just different than the French and the Germans and the Spanish. They just know how to live life, and I think it's their sense of humor and the way they look at things. And I think the same thing could be said for the Irish. The only problem with Ireland, I will tell you right now, is the food. It's terrible. And uh, <laughs> I had a buddy of mine who said, he, as he left Ireland, he wanted to put a sign up in the airport that said, Get spices. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was never a problem for me because I grew up on, you know, the, the biggest spice on our table was salt. Uh, and so, you know, I, I did fine with the food there. And it is getting better, but there's no question. If you want to go somewhere for fine meals, uh, Ireland is not the place. Before I let you go, Dr. Collins, one last thought. 
why do so many doctors feel like they've got a right? Um, it's an interesting question because so many have written and have written well. Uh, you know, Chekhov and Keats and Oliver Wendell Holmes and, and even in modern times, all the, the Richard Seltzer, uh, Oliver Sacks, Abraham Verghese. I, I think part of it is because as doctors, we have trained ourselves to see things in a different way. You know, we have to see things through the eyes of our patient to try and understand their pain and understand their problem. Um, and writers need to do the same thing. They need to step out of themselves and be able to look at life from a different perspective. Hmm. Uh, and that's what I try to do in my books is to explore not only for my readers, but for myself, too. I, I learn a lot in the writing of books. I could tell you this. I've not met you in person, but to just hear you speak right now, there is a kindness in your heart that the listener can appreciate. And to really tap into that further, reading your books will probably be that feeling that you can sense. You clearly have done great things with your life and helped a lot of total strangers and a lot of people. And for that, I thank you. And I really want to thank you for joining us this morning. It's, it's a real honor to be able to talk to somebody like you who walks the walk and talks the talk. Thanks so much, Dr. Collins. Well, I'm delighted to be on the show, and if you're ever in the Chicago, stop by. Be I will. I will. God bless you, and thanks for teaching me oh, about Stan yep. Makita. What a story. God bless you, too. Thanks. Okay. All right, young man. That's the great Dr. Michael Collins, his new book, All Bleeding Stops. What a joy. All right, coming up next, I'll open the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here Sugar on 710 man. ESPN. Won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes. For a blue coin, won't you bring back all those colors to my dreams? Holy emoji, Flatman. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Wear Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Good job, Zach. That's the music from the endless summer. My patient, my friend, I miss him terribly, Bruce Brown. A movie about traveling all over the world, looking for the perfect wave. This week I had Monday and Thursday off and I went surfing. I went to my spot. And I surf with my buddies, who don't seem to work, by the way. In fact, Lance, right now, 
is under the water in the Channel Islands because as of 6 o'clock this morning, lobster season opened. God bless Lance. He ain't waiting for the lobster to crawl into a cage like everybody else. He free dives in the freezing cold water and literally looks under the rock and pulls the lobster out from underneath the rock. Sometimes I have to remind him that maybe a giant shark is witnessing this and would like to eat both him and the lobster at the same time. But Lance told me for 50 straight years he has been there for opening day for lobster season. So, Lance, I hope you got your limit. And it was really fun to surf this week with you. And what I noticed, our topic today is all about bending in life. A surfboard is not a solid plank like a pencil where the surface is just pristine flat. You want the nose and the tail to have a little bit of shape to it, a bend, and it's called rocker. And I used my surfboard at two different spots at the same location this week. And I got to tell you, the way the wave hits the point versus the reef, it was like going to two different countries. What a joy I had, and I cannot wait to go surfing tomorrow. It's really what settles me down in life and allows me to do all the things I love to do, is paddling, looking at the horizon, meditating, wondering, where is that next wave coming? And do I take the first one or the third one? Which one's going to be the best? And this week, I caught the biggest waves of the day. How do I know? Because as I was paddling back out to the lineup, my friend said, Robbie, you got the biggest wave of the set, the w- biggest wave of the day, the bomb. It was really great. All right, let's take some calls. The lines are lit up. Clinic's open. Let's go to Phil. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Doc. Hey, um, I've got uh, stiff knees. Wait a minute. Hey, How young are you and what do you do for a living? 67, and I'm a candy manufacturer. Okay, I'm not taking care of you right now unless I get some candy out of this. Well, yeah, you can count on it. Listen, I'm also, I sent you an email about Volare with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis and uh, wow. and Dean Martin, Dean Martin singing uh, Volare in Italian. I don't know if you remember that or not. I do, but it's still not yeah. as good as Dominic whatever his Modigliani or whatever his name is, who wrote the song and sings the song. Do we have that, Zach? Do we have Volari for him to hear right now? We play it at the end of every show for ten and a half years. There he is. This is the guy who wrote it and sings it. It's like Carol King. She wrote the song, she sings the song. It sounds better. There it is. This brings back so many memories you have no idea. Here it is. I'm singing and I'm flying. <laughs> I've got news for you. Los Angeles right now is going to think that it's actually 9 o'clock. They think the show's over. Like an earthquake occurred. This is like uh, Orson Welles where the aliens came or something. Relax now. It's only 844. The show's not over. Anyway, how can I help I, you, Phil? God bless you for calling. My grandparents played that song so many times, you have no idea. It's amazing. 
Hey, hey, so here's the story, Doc. I've got I've got multiple sclerosis. I've got stiff knees from it. Mm. And just so you know, I rode 107,000 miles on a bicycle between 1980 and 1993. Wow. And I ride 12 miles a day in 50 minutes on the recumbent bicycle because wow. I got low back problems, wow. too. But I think the MS causes a lot because the spasticity causes stiffness, but also from the MS itself. Yes. Any ideas or... Or, or what do you think I could possibly do? Uh, you know, the Leonardo da Vinci. By the way, my wife says I never answer the question, so I'm going to do my best to answer your question. In I my, appreciate that. In my own crazy clapper version of answering a question. Leonardo da Vinci, later in his life, became obsessed with the things in life that are invisible. So he tried to understand wind. He tried to understand the tides uh, in the ocean. He tried to understand the stuff that you could not see, which is why one of my favorite things in surgery is nonverbal communication. When I'm in deep in a big, difficult surgery, I got a mask on, you can't see my face. I got a hat on to keep my head covered. All that's showing are my eyes and my eyebrows. And God bless Carlos, my assistant, who's holding the leg while I'm working deep inside the ball and socket joint doing someone's hip or knee or shoulder. He's holding the retractors. I'm not saying a damn thing. Just like Gene Crawford before him. He's looking at my eyebrows and eyes and can see that I'm struggling to get to this tiny spot that's away from the nerve and away from the artery. He can't see inside the hole like I'm working on and that I can see, but he sees in my eyebrows that they're going up and all of a sudden the leg, the arm is moved millimeters and now I have smooth sailing. Non-verbal communication. I love that about life. And that's what Leonardo da Vinci was looking for. So to answer your question, because I don't have a cure for multiple sclerosis, nobody does. You win a Nobel Prize if you can even figure out what exactly is going on with the plaques in the brain that causes it all to take place. And why do some people get a severe case and other people get less of a severe case? But here's my answer to you. You miss two things in multiple sclerosis. Balance is one of them. Strength ultimately is the other, but balance. And one of the ways our body balances is through something called proprioception. These are sensors inside the joints that gives feedback to the brain. Now, you got plaques in your brain with MS, so you're not getting the information there as well. But how can you get the maximum amount of information for position sense in the to the brain especially in ms patients what i have found after 32 years of taking care of 100 patients a week 16,000 surgeries is the value of the pool that's why i write these books with linda yui because when you and i'm not saying swimming you could swim if you are i'm just saying get in the water belly button high water because immediately the water other than air is what's touching your skin and that gives feedback through the sensors in your joints to your brain for position sense. 
you need to become a full, you're a full-time bike rider in 107,000 miles. At this point in your life, the fountain of youth is in the fountain. Get in the pool. Half an hour, three, four times a week, walk forwards, backwards. You start doing more and more in the water. That is the best way for you to do battle with the MS, which unfortunately progresses. But here's what else is unfortunate. You and I are both getting older. And as you get older, we have a term at Cedars. It's called altacocoritis. That's what you're going to get. We get older. And that is a parallel universe that ultimately makes it more difficult to get that feedback to the brain, whether you have MS or not. Dancing is a great way. Israeli dancing, square dancing. This is a great thing for you to do to keep whatever signals, synapses, whatever neurotransmitter chemicals that allow the synapse for one cell in the brain to talk to another, keep them honed is by dancing, the pool, all the things that you're doing right now. That would be my best advice to you. All right. I, I wrote I wrote I wrote the pool down earlier and I'll tell you two things. I couldn't believe you said this. First of all, um Da Vinci's my dead mentor, number one. And and second of all, the um I can't believe uh, oh boy, do you know your stuff? Thank because you. I just Tell I your just friends. Got, Thank uh, you. I just got a vibrating machine. I don't know if that'll help, but I'll take it you, easy. We don't need it. to talk about hustler right now, okay? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> If you call me next time and say, Dr. Clapper, I'm smoking cigarettes and I'm having cups of coffee, I'm going to know you put the vibrator on the wrong spot. You know what I mean? No, I tell you, I tell you, I, I wasn't sure. I'm just testing it, but that help, it's helping, believe it or not. Take it easy. Before this is talk. Disney. Thank you, Muffin. Thank okay. You. All right, Phil. God bless you. You're a total stranger. Find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Definitely will. Thank you. All Thanks. right. God bless you. All right, All right Warriors. Take a break. We'll pay bills. Come back with what I'm going to be doing next week. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar sinai head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning. Then with my friend, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. That's right. Mahalo. Aloha. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Ahui hoy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, we should do a whole show one day about candy. I'm a candologist, but I'm really a donutologist. So if you want to say hi, I'll be at Good Time Donuts in Ventura, enjoying those incredible donuts that Sue makes. Good Time Donuts. I'm a donutologist. Speaking of food, hot dogs, sausages, right? You put them on the grill. 
Well, you boil them, what do they do? They bend. Today's show is all about bending. Is there a way to eat a hot dog? My mouth is watering already. Where it won't bend? Yes. You have to make sure you have the right combination of pork and beef in the hot dog, and the casing has to be special. Can't be synthetic. It's got to be a natural casing. And in New Jersey, they figured it out. How to have the hot dog not disintegrate in the deep fryer because they wanted to fry a hot dog. So between the casing and the inside, they came up with the perfect hot dog to deep fry. And it's called the Ripper. Well, there's only one place in L.A. you can get a Ripper. And I got one this week. And it was life-changing. It's called Fab, Fab's Hot Dog. And it's in, I think, Reseda. We're going to have the Walter, the owner, as a guest down the line. But it is, get the Manhattan with the red onions. You'll feel like you're in Central Park. The red onions, the sauerkraut, and the mustard. Oh, my God. And it's the most delicious thing to deep fry a hot dog. And Clapper Vision about Justin Hollins, who had his Peck Major operator on. I think he could be back this season which is crazy because this used to be a season-ending injury. And the reason why is what we do in sports medicine is so fantastic now. The tools that I get to use to fix all kinds of things, your ACL, your rotator cuff, you name it, is Arthrex. Mark Davidson, my rep, Grant, the big boss. I used to have to put stitches in the tendon that ripped off the bone in your pec major and go deep into your arm, find where the tendon ripped off the arm and the artery, the nerve, your whole armpit basically, the axillary nerves, the artery. I mean, it's tiger country. It's dangerous down there. And how to be able to pull the tendon, which has like a bungee cord pulled away from the bone, the tools to be able to pull on the fiber wire stitch, which is like Kevlar, bulletproof material now, and pull as you pull this device allows it to be drawn, the tendon, back deep into the wound, right back to the bone. It's awesome. It's almost as if every time I go to surgery and I dream up, I wish I had a tool that could do this. That Reinhold Schmieding, who owns Arthrex, God bless him, he comes up with the tool that we use that works perfectly. Clapper vision. Millions of cases all over the world get done better than ever before because of that company. So God bless you, Reinhold. God bless you, Arthrex. And Mark Davidson, thanks for taking care of me. Each and every day I go to surgery to do sports cases, and I do a lot of them. All right, let's talk about next week. My guest next week is relatable to the project that I'm doing, my research project on the saber-toothed tiger and the hip problems that these ancient cats had. And I've discovered through the analysis of the bones and the research I've done by getting cat scans of these animals and building 3D models that these animals are not like mountain lions that hunted alone. They hunted and packs and fed each other and took care of each other. And this is ultimately going to be an exhibit at the La Brea Tar Pits, the research that I've done. But getting these models made by using the bones and then getting a 3D model made, we're going to have as a guest next Saturday. So it made me think all week 
about 3D modeling. That's what we're going to talk about. And I'll give you a hint. The music will be the ventures. And wait till you hear Kobe Bryant talk about the Z-axis and depth and 3D modeling. Until then, I'll see you on the radio. I'll leave you with Volare. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.